0: take your bibles if you will and make your way over to matthew chapter nine matthew chapter nine and uh, let me say how much my family and i Tony Lynn, braxton and brooklyn how much we have enjoyed uh... just being able to be here with you this weekend uh... we certainly enjoyed being with the men on friday night and saturday morning we've enjoyed the praetors like we uh... like we knew we would and we're grateful for them grateful for their ministry grateful for this church and uh, i'm grateful for the privilege that's been ours to be here this weekend And uh, as we get get ready to head back tomorrow, uh, I just would have you, if you would please, to be praying for the Willow Park Baptist Church. We are, as Pastor said this morning, we're in the midst of a uh, of a gigantic move for us. It may not be a big move for anybody else, but it's a big move for us. And uh, we're on in Sunday mornings. We have three services. We come back on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, just like you do. But we've come to the place where we've run out of parking. Uh, we've run out of nursery space. We've, well, that was pre-COVID. Can I just say that? Amen. And, uh, but uh, we've seen God do some amazing things, and we're grateful for that. And here a few years ago, we had the opportunity on I-20 uh, in our county. There's 140,000 car, 140, cars a day that drive up and down I-20, and there were 82 acres that came available. And so by faith, we stepped out. We paid off our present debt. We paid off, paid off the debt on the property. Uh, at this point, uh, we've invested in purchase and also an in investment, almost $13.5 million. And in the process of all that, we've been blessed by God. We've given uh, over a million dollars for the last seven or eight years to missions every year. And, uh, and we've wanted to continue our mission. And we've wanted to continue doing what God called us to do, which is go you therefore into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. And, and so we, we didn't want to just get busy building the building and get busy relocating and uh, so we, we were getting ready to go with our bridge loan. We've got some people that are going to commit to it, and they have committed to it. And uh, we've had our campaign, and now we're moving towards that. But we needed a bridge loan in order to do that. And so we, on May the 12th, we were at the state tournament with my son Braxton, and COVID broke out. And by the time we got back on Monday, we were supposed to sign some papers uh, for a bridge loan with the bank. Well, the bank backed up, and uh, so here in the last four or five months, Uh, we've been scrambling with just our money to be able to put our engineering in and and to keep all the things that we've done in place and we think we're really really close to that. Uh, We're going to build a 200,000 square foot facility. Uh, We're going to have all the education space we need, a gigantic gym, an auditorium that'll seat 1,600, and all of it sounds really good until you realize somebody's got to take care of it and somebody's got to pay for it. Amen. And I've had all these people say, well, you know, uh, it's taken us a long time to build that building. And I want to tell you, it has taken us a long time. Uh, but I tell them what I always tell them. I say, hey, it took Noah 120 years to build the ark. And we're not nearly like that. And so one day I'm reading through my Bible, and I realize when Noah got done building that ark, they found him in a tent drunk and naked. Come on, hey, you no, know, that's right. Amen. So I want you to be praying for us that God will move on this. We need, we need a miracle And uh, we're hoping that we can pay this thing off, and we think we're going to. We think God's going to let us do that. And then we're going to sell our present property, and within a year, it's our goal to give that away. We think it's probably appraised as somewhere between $10 and $12 million on our present property, and we just want to give it away. Why? Because we believe Jesus is coming, and the world needs to hear about Jesus Christ. And there's a 1040 window over there that moves me every time I look at a map or every time somebody talks about it. They've never heard the name of Jesus. They don't know another Christian. They don't know anything at all about the Bible, and yet the Lord Jesus Christ died for their sins. And so I want you to pray that we'll be able to do that and that God will get the glory for it. Uh, listen, I grew up in a home of a postman, like I told you this morning. My dad never made more uh, than $38,000 in a year, and yet to see what God is doing, it has absolutely nothing to do with Clark or Tony Lynn Bossier, but it has everything to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you be praying for us. Will you do that, please? And then let me just say this about your music. I know you hear a lot about your music when somebody comes, but man, you you guys are blessed with great talent and great musicians and a great choir and your soloists are all really good and Brother Mike does a really good job. Listen, Brother Mike is leading music so he can preach. Can I just tell you how that works on you? I mean, he's a preacher, you can tell, but I mean, man, you have got great stuff going on here and I honor you and I bless you and I say, thank God the bozier has got to be here with you. All right? Take your Bibles and go, if you will, please, to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and I want us to break in in verse 9, and I want us to read down through verse 13. Matthew chapter 9, and verse 9, and it reads like this. And it says, as Jesus passed forth from thence, it said, he, Jesus, saw a man named Matthew sitting to receive receipt of custom. And he saith unto him, follow me, and he arose and followed him. And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meeting the house, Behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that behold need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you, God, grateful for the privilege it's ours to gather tonight. And God, grateful for the privilege it's ours to open up your word. And I pray that, God, you'd take our time tonight. And I pray that, God, you'd make it profitable. I pray if there's somebody here that's never been saved, that, God, they'd be saved tonight. I pray for those of us that are saved, that, God, we'd look up and see there's a whole world that, God, the Lord Jesus Christ died for, that, God, he, he, he purchased their salvation. I pray, God, tonight in Jesus' mighty name, that we as believers would look up and see that people are not black or white or brown or yellow, but God, they are people that the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for. And I pray that God tonight, we'd take the lessons that are learned from this, and God, we'd use them on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, and God, all throughout the week, and that God, we'd be bold about our faith and bold about Jesus and bold as soul winners. And I pray, God, that in Jesus' mighty name, you'd move in such a way tonight that we wouldn't walk out of here talking about a sermon or a song, but God, we'd walk out of here tonight talking about your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, if you'll do this, I promise you, we will praise you and thank you for it, because it's in Jesus' mighty name that we do pray. And everybody said... When you look at the context of the passage, you go back to Matthew chapter 8. And in the first four verses, Jesus is making his way through a transitional time in his ministry. Uh, Warren been. Uh, Oliver B. Green say that chapters 8 and chapter 9 are pivotal to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ because at this time there are many people who are wondering, is he who he claims to be? Is he the Messiah? Is he the Savior? Hey, is he the one that's come to redeem mankind? And by this time those men have left everything. They've left their homes, their families, and they've left their careers and they've followed after the Lord Jesus Christ. And up to this point the Bible said that Jesus has made the blind to see The deaf to hear, the lame to walk, he's put together destitute and tormented lives. He's walked on the water, fed the multitudes, but Jesus didn't come just to feed us. Jesus came that we might be saved. And yet you come to this passage, and in the first first four verses of chapter 8, he heals those of leprosy. Leprosy at that time is what was known as an incurable disease. If you got it, you died, and you died a slow, excruciating death. and You were put in a leper's colony. Had you have wandered outside that leper's colony, you would have worn a bell. Had somebody have seen you, you would have had to have cried out, unclean, unclean, unclean. But the Bible tells us in the first four verses of chapter 8 that Jesus heals those that have leprosy, and then he does something. The Bible said he sends those lepers back to the priests and he says, present yourself for for a ceremonial cleansing. Those priests no doubt knew those men and knew they had leprosy. And now when they show up, most historians tell you that they knew immediately that Jesus was here, that the Messiah was here, that the Savior was here. Why? Because nobody could heal leprosy like the Lord Jesus Christ. And then you come to the next few verses, verses five through 13. And there's a centurion, he's a Roman soldier. And he's watched Jesus and he's heard about Jesus and he's listened in about Jesus. And now he has one of his servants that's sick, uh, that's very sick. And the Bible said this. The Bible said that he comes to Jesus and he says, I've got a servant that's sick. And Jesus said, I'll come to your house. And the man says something. He says, listen, you don't have to come to my house. A Jew doesn't have to come to a Gentile's home. I won't dishonor you like that. But he said, I want you to do me something. Say a word. And he said, I'm a man under authority. I know what it is to say. And they go. And I know what it is to say. Come. And they come. I know what it is. And the Bible said that Jesus said, I've not seen so great faith. No, not in all of Israel. And the Bible said that same self hour, it says that that centurion servant was healed. And then you come to chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. And the Bible said that Peter was with Jesus. And they make their way to Peter's house. And no doubt, Jesus is exhausted. And no doubt, Jesus is tired. But Jesus makes his way in that home. And the Bible said that Peter's mother-in-law, I said Peter's mother-in-law has taken ill. Now, that'll mess up a lot of doctrine in a lot of churches that Peter had a mother-in-law. Come on right there, amen. And you say, Clark... How do you know? I mean, how do you really know when you're having an old-fashioned, holy ghost, heaven-sent revival? Well, I'll tell you one fell safe way to know that. You'll be excited when your mother-in-law gets healed. (laughs) How many of you know what a mother-in-law is? Come on, let me see your hands. You heard the story about why it only takes uh, uh, one mother-in-law to put in a light bulb. You know how that works? It takes one mother-in-law because the whole world spins around her. Come on right now, amen. You heard about the mother-in-law that they asked her, said, what's your mother-in-law like? He said, my mother-in-law is like a vulture. He said, a vulture? He said, what's the difference between your mother-in-law and a vulture? He said, well, my mother-in-law is like a vulture, but hey, at least a vulture will let you die before they chew you out. I said, amen. I got some good mother-in-law jokes. Stay with me here, amen. Heard about the guy who took his mother-in-law to buy a new car and the car salesman said, do you want a, do you want a hot air bag in the front seat? He said, no, I'm going to make her ride in the back. Come on, amen. <laughs> Heard about the guy that his, his wife got on him and said, honey, why is it that you don't care about me? And why is it that you don't care about my mother? You don't treat us right. You go hunting every weekend. You don't care about us. You leave us here by, the, by ourselves. You don't ever take us anywhere. He said, i tell you what I'm going to do. He said, the next time I go hunting, I'm going to take you, my wife, and I'm going to take my mother-in-law, and we're going hunting. And I would have killed go to some hunting trip somewhere near his house. He took his his wife and his mother-in-law, and he went all the way to Africa. And when he got all the way over there to Africa, one night in the middle of the night, his wife woke up, and she was screaming. She was saying, where's my mom? Where's your mother-in-law? Where's my mom? Where's your mother-in-law? They walked outside with a big flashlight, and there backed up against a gigantic tree was his mother-in-law, and surrounding her, We're seven ferocious lions. His wife said, oh, honey, what are we going to do? Honey, what are we going to do? He said, look, those lions got themselves in that mess. Those lions can get themselves out. (laughs) If I say one more, come on, one more. You heard about the guy that took his mother-in-law to Israel and she died? The funeral director said, listen, we can bury her here in Israel for $25, but if we send her home, it's going to cost you $50,000. He said, well, let me think about it. In a little while, he came back. He said, look, I need you to send her home. And the guy said, did you not hear what I said? We said here in Israel, we could bury her for $25. If she goes home, it's going to cost you $50,000. He said, look, I was reading in my Bible, and I found out 2,000 years ago, there was a a guy that died here, and he came back to life, and I just can't chance it, amen. By the way, those were not my original jokes. Kelby gave those to me this afternoon. Can I get him in on that? what you get for sitting by me at lunch. Can I get an amen on that? Yes. Hey, the mother-in-law is healed. Then you look at verse 16 and 17, and the Bible said he cast out evil spirits. Look at verse 17 in Matthew chapter eight. It says that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Can I tell you, God has the ability to fulfill his own word, amen. And then in verses 18 through 22, he asks a question. He says, who will follow me? And the Bible said the disciples said, we'll follow you. And look what it says in verse 23. It says in verse 23, it says, and when he was entered into a ship, his disciples came and they entered in and they followed him. There was something about those guys. They were willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verses 23 through 27, something happens. And that is they're out on the storm-tossed sea. And out on the storm-tossed sea, the Bible said that Jesus is downstairs asleep. And the Bible said they come to him. And he says, "Oh, ye of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? Why are you in fear? And the Bible said he rebuked the winds and the waves. Now listen to this. When you come to the last of chapter 8, Jesus has made the lepers to be healed. He's here the centurion's servant. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's cast out evil spirits. He's healed them all. His disciples have followed him. He's rebuked the winds and the waves. And now, now he's going to deal with some evil spirits. And there's some men that come walking out of those tombs. And when they come walking out of those tombs, they begin to cry out to Jesus. And those those demons know who Jesus is. And those demons know that their time is limited. And now they ask a question. They say, well, will you cast us out? And when you cast us out, will you cast us out into those swine? Don't just send us away. And the Bible said that he cast them into some swine. And those swine, as I know them, would begin to squeal. They ran off a cliff. They ran into a deep pool of water. And the Bible said they all drowned. And I want you to see something. Look at the last verse of chapter 8. In verse 34. Where it says, and behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he, Jesus, would depart out of their coat. Pastor, when I read that, it dawned on me, no matter how great Jesus is, no matter how miraculous Jesus is, no matter what great things Jesus does, there are some people that want absolutely nothing to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Which I don't understand. How could you see lepers healed? Uh, How could you see the storms come? How could you see Peter's mother-in-law arise? How could you see the dedication of what Jesus is doing and the miraculous power in his hand and not want anything to do with him? And then those that study this, say that when you go into chapter nine, there's a switch that goes on and Jesus now moves from a miracle ministry of healing and of nature to where Jesus is full-blown gonna declare that he has the power to forgive sins. Praise God, Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And so he not only heals, but then he forgives. And there are those that are wondering, does he have the power to do this? Hey, does he have the authority to do this? Is he the Savior? Is he the Messiah? And so then you come to chapter 9 and verse 9 and look at it again. And it says, and as Jesus passed forth from thence, notice this, the Bible said he saw a man. Don't you get this? Jesus was busy. Jesus had all kinds of things that were, were occupying his mind and his life. And at this time, Jesus is marching his way to a cross. And, old friend, I want to remind you, Jesus knew before he was born that he was on his way to a cross. And now, on his way to that cross, he walks through a city and he sees a man. Isn't it amazing how much we miss because we just don't see it? We're preoccupied, we're busy, we've got jobs. Hey, we've got to get homework done. Hey, we've got vacations. Hey, hey, we've got to take care of the house and we miss what's going on around us. I am, uh, my kids love basketball, I love basketball. And I gotta tell you there's some when you go to these games that have absolutely no clue what's going on. They miss everything that's going on and that is what is referred to as a referee. Come on right there, amen, yes. I don't want to insult any preaching referees but come on right there, amen. Hey, hey, and then listen, I got a buddy that that one day told me, he said, Clark, you're going to have one of the greatest experiences in all your life. And he said, ma'am, I'm going to take you out deer hunting. Now, let me ask you this. How many of you like to deer hunt? Let me see your hands. Okay, God bless the two of you. God bless you. Amen. But but I'm going to tell you something. I'm not an outdoorsman. I don't like to be outside. I, I don't like to go to the woods. That, that may be your thing. And all these guys at my church, they talk about deer hunting all year long. Oh, I got my cameras up. Oh, I got my gun clean. Oh, I got my new camo. And what's amazing to me is they feed these deer all year long. They watch them on their camera. And then one day they walk out there and shoot them. Can I get an amen on that? And, and I say, why is that such a big deal? Well, my buddy from Alabama tells me in Bible college, he said, we're going to go deer hunting. And I said, okay, I'm going to go. I'm going to see how, what's exciting. But I'm going to see why it's so good. So he tells me, now listen, I knew the trip was going to be bad when he told me he was coming by to pick me up at four in the morning. Can I get an amen on that? I tell you, anybody that thinks it's right to get up early in the morning needs to have some demons cast out of them. Can I just tell you that? And he said, I'll be by at four. Uh, He said, we're going to get in the tree. Oh, he's so excited. Oh, this is the first day of deer season. Oh, this is going to be great. Uh, I'm walking through the dark of night, crawling to go get in a tree, and I'm asking myself, why in God's name did I agree to this? I get up in that tree. He gives me a walkie-talkie. He says, I'm going to be over there. They're coming down through the brush. We've been watching them on the cameras. And he said, there's a big one. He said, pick that big one out and shoot him. It'll be the greatest day outside of your salvation. So I'm sitting in that tree. He says, Brother Clark, can you hear me? I said, yes. He said, now get ready. They're coming in from the right. Be ready. Be still. Don't move. They're coming in from the right. A little while I hear him whispering. Can you see them? I said, no. He said, look to your right, look to your right. There's a big one, look to your right. I'm looking to my right and I'm telling you all I can see is darkness, amen. And finally he says, do you not see the deer, do you? Do you not see them, they're right to your right. And then finally he says, they're right below you. And finally I said, I can't see these deer. And he screams in that walkie-talkie, they are right below you. They all look up here, that walkie-talkie and they all take off running, amen. He gets out of his tree stand, Brother Tyler. He starts walking towards me. Can I tell you, a redneck from Alabama carrying a gun will make you nervous early in the morning, amen. (laughs) You say, what happened? I didn't see it, that's what happened. Come on, amen. uh, I've done a bunch of camps. And I gotta tell you, when you send your kids to camp, you better know that God works when they go to camp, amen. But there's more than just God working when you go to camp. There's more than just devotions and great preaching. Because if I read it right, if I watch it right, When they get off those buses, the guys are looking at the girls, and the girls are looking at the guys, which, by the way, is still okay. Amen. Come on, amen. It's Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Come on right here. Amen. And they get off those buses. And One day, I'm behind the Coke machine, and there's this teenage boy, and he's talking to this girl. He said, oh, you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen in all my life. Oh, you are the smartest girl I've ever seen in all my life. Oh, without a doubt, you are the most lovely girl in this entire camp. And every time he would say that to her, she would say, Olay, you're beautiful, Olay, oh, you're lovely, Ole, you're the greatest, Olay. I called her later, I said, look, I was on the other side of the Coke machine. I wasn't trying to get in on your conversation, but every time he told you or said something to you that was complimentary, you said Ole. I said, why did you do that? She said, Brother Clark any time that much bull comes my way, I say ole and get out of the way. I say amen. What do you think about that, Bill Clinton? Come on right there, amen. I am insulted by the way this youth pastor has treated me today. Can I just tell you that? If I'm Bill Clinton, that means my wife is Hillary and she's mad. Can I get an amen on that? Woo. I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm leaving in the morning. Come on right now, amen. Somebody said, did you vote for Hillary? Listen, I'd vote for a gerbil before I'd vote for Hillary. Can I just say uh... Hillary? If it made you mad, I'm sorry, all right. Hey, so, so you gotta say, wait a minute, what is Jesus doing? Now once you get this. Jesus was passed forth from thence and the Bible said that he saw Matthew. Everybody say Matthew. And here's what I know about Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. There is a reason, Brother Bill, we celebrate July 4th and not April 15th. Can I get an amen? Hey, hey, listen, when you and I work until June to pay our taxes, I want to tell you they had a Boston Tea Party, and the reason they had that Boston Tea Party was because they said we will have no taxation without representation. Hey, i tell you what's worse is what we have, which is over taxation with representation, amen. So, so you say, wait a minute, Matthew is a tax collector, but he's not just your normal tax collector. He's a Jewish man who's bought into the Roman Empire. So he sold out his religion, he sold out his ethnic group, he sold out his family, he sold out his conscience. Hey, he has sold out the people that he has lived with for his entire life. It would be like us being invaded by Russia and one of you being a tax collector and taking dues from the Russians and giving it to them. But on the other side is, Matthew is not only collecting money for the Romans, Matthew is collecting money for himself. And here's what you know about Matthew. Matthew had a whole lot of money But he had zero peace in his life. And seated there by that door, or seated there by that gate, Jewish people, when they saw him, if they bumped into him, they spit to show they were reviled. They went and burned their clothes. They went and took a hot, scalding bath. They said, hey, we don't want anything to do with Matthew or a tax collector who has sold us out. And yet the Bible said that as Jesus passed forth from Thence, he saw Matthew. Hey, I want to tell you, the Bible said of Jesus concerning you and me, it says, for the Son of Man, that's Jesus, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I don't care where you go in the Bible. When you find Jesus, you're going to find Jesus rescuing people who could not rescue themselves. There's a story in John chapter 3, and it's of Nicodemus. And I'm persuaded that Nicodemus has watched Jesus all day long. He's watched how he's been nice to little kids and how he's been kind to ladies and in that culture you weren't nice to ladies but Jesus went out of his way to be kind to those women and he went out of his way to be kind to children and he helped people that nobody else even liked. And I think that Nicodemus as a religious man watched him all day long and finally late at night Nicodemus came to Jesus. By the way, that's why we know that Nicodemus is the original Nick at night. Come on out to him and yes. Crowd slow, but they're catching on. Can I just hear me? Yes. Hey, hey, he comes late at night, good master. We know thou a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Nicodemus was used to having theological conversations. But Jesus didn't have a theological conversation with him. Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, Nicodemus, your need is that you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, How? How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb? And Jesus said, Knowest thou not that thou art a master of Israel? And you don't know about these things. I want to tell you, friend, Jesus could have kicked him to the curb, and Jesus could have said, I'm too busy. But Jesus, late at night, loved a Pharisee like Nicodemus. One of my favorite stories is in John chapter 4. There's a woman, she's been married five times. She's living in an adulterous affair. Hey, she's given up on men, she's given up on marriage, hey, she's given up on everything. And she's out by a well. It's the noontime hour, which is the most dangerous time of the day to be out underneath that searing sun. But oh, friend, she'd rather go out there and be underneath that searing sun than to be around those ladies who come out to the water and they mock her and they laugh about her failures and they talk about her five failed marriages and they talk about who she shacked up with on this day. And oh, friend, she'd rather go out there and face that searing sun than to face those accusations. And Jesus, the Bible said, must needs go through Samaria. You see, Samaritans were half Jew, half Gentile. The Jews wanted nothing to do with them. The Gentiles wanted nothing to do with them. But Jesus made a point of going through that area, and there's only one reason I can see that he did it. He knew that woman was going to be there. And Jesus tells her, If you'll come to me, I'll give you living water. And she said, the well is deep. How how can I draw out? And Jesus, oh, friend, I've come to give you more than just water. I've come to give you life. I've come to give you meaning. And the Bible said, she said, oh, come see a man which told me all things, whichever I did, is not this the Christ? Her life was never the same. One of my favorite, probably my favorite story is in John chapter 8 of a woman who's been taken in adultery. And if you've ever read the Old Testament laws about adultery, they would stone them. It was an honor killing by the father. It was an honor killing by the uncle. It was an honor killing by the brothers to have taken this woman's life. And the Bible said they caught her in the very act of adultery. And they grabbed her and they pulled her out. And they throw her naked body down at Jesus' feet. And they start to quote the Old Testament. They said Moses said in the law and in the prophets that if one should be taken in adultery, they should be stoned. And now Jesus does something. Jesus goes and the Bible says he stoops and he begins to write on the ground. I've often wondered, Pastor, what was he writing? Was he writing, be not deceived? God is not mocked for whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. Was he writing, thou shalt not commit adultery? Was he writing, where is the man? Was he writing, be sure your sins will find you out? I don't know what he was writing. But I know that as he wrote on the ground, he said to that accusing crowd, he said, those of you who have no sin, he said, you cast the first stone. And I think the language is particular because it says from the eldest to the youngest, they begin to leave. I can see them throw down their rocks and throw down their sticks. And I can see them say to that lady, hey, you think you got by with this, but he's gonna be gone and we'll catch you later and we'll deal with your sin then. And as they scoot by her, as she is condemned, It's now just Jesus and the woman. And Jesus is still stooped and riding on the ground. And Jesus says to the woman, Woman, where are those thine accusers? And I think for the first time, through a tear-stained eye and with a trembling voice, she looks up and she sees that they're gone. And she said, No man hath condemned me, Lord. Can I tell you, that's a great statement. But there's a greater statement. Because Jesus says, neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. Hey, Jesus came not into the world to condemn the world, but praise God that through the world, through him might be saved. Come on, amen. So you say, what about Jesus? Jesus makes his way. He looks over. He sees Matthew. Now I want you to see something. Look at that next verse in verse 10. Because not only did he see Matthew, but he also saw the crowd that Matthew was with. Verse 10, look at it. It says, and it came to pass, as Jesus said at meeting the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. So he's invited over to Matthew's house. And when he gets over to Matthew's house, guess what? There's a crowd just like Matthew. And what are they doing? They are hanging out together. And Jesus makes his way, not just to Matthew, but he realizes Matthew has some friends. Oh, friend, listen. Lost people hang out with lost people. Because they don't have any other options. Lost people hang out with lost people because nobody's invited them to church. And nobody's given them the gospel. Hey, they're over there doing what they do because they don't have any other options. Lost people act like they're lost. Come on, amen. And Jesus made his way over there. Why? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus loves the unlovable. Hey, Jesus loves people that nobody else cares about. Jesus goes to Nicodemus, he goes to the woman at the well, he goes to the woman taken in adultery, he goes to Matthew's house, why? Because Jesus loves people that are unlovable. And I want to tell you, before we came to Jesus, we were unlovable. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation or a payment for our sins. Oh friend, we weren't seeking God, praise God, God was seeking us. Not only did he love the unlovable, but Jesus loved people who were sinners. Luke chapter 19, he talks about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a lot like Matthew. And he said those grand words in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And then Jesus sought out people who he knew needed help. I, um, I was at a camp in, in Oklahoma. And um, there was this boy that was coming back and forth in the camp. And every time he'd come by, he'd have on a different Nike shirt a different pair of Nike pants. He'd have on some new Nike shoes. and A lot of times he'd have on a Nike hat. And when he'd come through, buddy, there was a buzzing camp. And everybody started yelling, hey, hey, Nike boy, hey, Nike boy. And, man, they were high-fiving him. He'd make his way through the crowd. And a little while later, he'd have on a different shirt and a different pair of pants and a different pair of shoes and a different hat. And all of them had Nike uh, insignias on him. And, boy, everybody knew him. He was Nike boy. I asked his youth director, I said, who's that kid? He said, I think he's going to talk to you. I'm just going to let him tell you his story. So later that week, I preach him, and I get them preaching. I'm standing outside that tabernacle, and they're making some announcements. And here comes old Nike boy. And I got to tell you, there's nothing I love more than a kid that doesn't know who he is, and he's just trying to be somebody. That's my kind of kid. Can I just tell you this? He came walking in. He's a white kid that thinks he's a gangster. Do you know who I'm talking about here? M-A-S. And when he comes walking up, Brother Tyler, it was awesome. He starts flashing me signs. I'm not a sign guy. I don't get signs. He said, this is east side. Uh, this is west side. This is Walmart, and this means you're a moron. Can I give an amen? Like, yes. <laughs> and so he, he said, hey, Brother Clark, can I tell you a story? I said, man, you can. I said, I've been wondering about you all week long. And preacher, he told me something I'll never forget. His voice starts to quiver. He's standing out there by me. You know, we're, we're all by ourselves. He said, Brother Clark, he said, my dad has been a preacher forever. He said, you know his name. He called it out. I knew him. He said, I, I don't know if you know this. But he said, I I was at home the other day, and he said, my parents were fighting. And he said, there's a problem when your dad's a preacher. You can't tell anybody. You can't tell the deacons. You can't tell your Sunday school teachers. uh, You you can't tell anybody else because it's going to ruin your dad's ministry. And he said, my mom and dad were fighting all the time. And he said, I did what I always do. He said, I put on my headset. I listened to my music. I was sitting in front of the TV. I'd play video games, and I'd try and tune them out. He said, one day, he said, I'm in the living room doing my thing. And he said, I feel a tap on my shoulder. He said, I look up. It's my dad. He said, my dad calls me to the back room. He said, when I get back there, he said, I realize it's not going to be a good day. He said, my mom is seated on the floor. She's leaning against the wall. And she's bawled her eyes out. And my dad says, son, your mom and I have made a decision. He said, for the first time, my mom gets up and says, oh, no, son, I've not made a decision. Your dad's the one that made this decision. He said, we've made a decision that she's going to go her way, and I'm going to go mine. He said, Brother Clark, have you ever had fear just well up in your life? He said, I began to scream, no, Dad, no. What are we going to do? No, Dad, we're a family. No, Dad, you can't do this. He said, my dad started walking out. He said, he got in the front yard. He said, I ran out there. He said, panic is welling up in my body. And I yelled, no, Dad, please, Dad, don't leave, don't leave. He said, when I'm hugging him, I look over his shoulder. His car's running. There's another lady in that car. He said, my dad said, son, it's going to be okay. He said, Brother Clark, I knew it wasn't going to be okay. He said, my dad starts pulling off down the street. He said, I run behind him, and I start beating on that trunk. Dad, dad, come back, dad, come back. He said, dad rolled down his windows and said, hey, it's going to be fine. He said, I'm standing in the street. That car pulls off in the distance. He said, and I'm standing there sobbing uncontrollably. There's people looking out their windows. There's people in their garage staring at me. There's people watering their yard. And they're all just looking at me, Brother Clark. He said, I walk back in the house. He said, my mom's seated on the floor, leaning against the wall. She's crying her eyes out. He said, and I go back, play my video games, turn my music on. He said, the next morning, he said, preacher, he said, I woke up. He said, I'd fallen asleep in the living room. And he said, Where I had fallen asleep, he said, the carpet was soaking wet because in my sleep all night long I had cried over the misery that was now a part of our family. He said, You know what? I have this Nike stuff on. He said, My dad feels guilty. He gives me a credit card. Hey, go down here to the outlet malls. Get you what you want. He said, man, I go to a high school of 3,000 kids. He said, I walk down the hallway, and everybody yells, hey, Nike boy. The coaches call me Nike boy. The teachers call me Nike boy. The principal calls me Nike boy. And he said, then I get on a bus. The bus driver calls me Nike boy. The kids on the bus call me Nike boy. He said, I get off that bus. My mom's working two and three jobs. And he said, I know when I go to that house, it's going to be empty. He said, Brother Clark, I'm not an athlete. I'm not good at school. I'm not popular. He said, and I know one day these clothes are going to run out. Dad's going to get tired of giving me the money. And preacher, he said something I'll never forget. He said, you know what I want most out of life? I said, no, buddy, what do you want? He said, I want people to know that my name is Brian. I just want him to know my name. He said, I'm insignificant, and nobody at school knows me, and nobody at church sees me. Everybody here calls me Nike boy. I just want him to know my name. I want to tell you something about Jesus. He knows your name. When everybody else gives up, and when everybody else moves on in life, Jesus made his way from thence. He saw a man named Matthew. He went over there to where he was at. He loved him. He loved the people that Matthew was with. Now I want you to see something. Look very quickly. Not only did he see Matthew and Matthew's crowd, but he also saw the hypocrites. Can I get an amen right there? Look at verse 11. Because it says, when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, why? Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? You know what? In the 15 years that I've been pastoring, I don't have much problems with the Republicans or the Democrats or the Unitarians. I don't have much problems with people of different color. I don't have problems with any of that. But you know who I have most of my problems with? It's people who claim to be saved, but they don't live like they're saved. Hey, they claim to be religious, and boy, they they know when to stand up and sit down. They know the routine. They know the songs. They know how you ought to act. But the meanest people I've ever met are people in churches. Because they know about God. But they don't know God. I was in Altus, Oklahoma. And one Sunday night, a little girl walked up to me and she's crying. Brother Clark, would you go talk to my mama? Would you please go talk to my mama? She's not saved and I'm saved. Would you go talk to my mama? I said, I will. My friend Dave Chittenden and I, we drove to her house the next day after lunch. We knocked on the door. She opened the door. Brother Chittenden, what are you doing here? "Uh, This is our hands. This is Clark Bosh. we go in the house. She said, hey, why are you guys visiting me in the middle of the day? I said, well, ma'am. Last night, your daughter, she said, my daughter, my teenage daughter. I said, yeah, your your teenage daughter. She came up to me and she was crying. My daughter was crying. My teenage daughter was crying. I said, yes. She said, well, what was she crying about? I said, well, your daughter said she knew Jesus and she was saved and on her way to heaven. And she was burdened about you because she said you were not a believer. And she wanted me to come over here today and tell you about Jesus in hopes that you might be saved. Pastor, have you ever been in a room when you knew the mood just changed? Have you ever been there? Yes. She said, my daughter said, what? I told her again. She said, come here. We started down this long hallway. She kicked open this door. She said, hey, my daughter was crying last night. This is her room. You see that poster up on the wall? Hey, you see this stuff over here on her desk? Hey, you see these music or see these CDs that she's listening to? Hey, this music is vile. She thumps it out so loud the, the, the neighbors complain. I've got two younger kids and I ask her to clean the house and she lays on the couch and cusses me and says, I'll do what I want when I want. I'm not going to listen to you. She said, Preacher, I don't care how many times my daughter goes to church and gets moved. I'm just telling you this. Preacher, if what my daughter has is Christianity, I don't need it. You know what I said, Pastor? Yes, ma'am. And I got up and I left the room. You see, you can be a professor of Jesus and not be a possessor of Jesus. Jesus saw Matthew. He saw the crowd. He saw the hypocrites. And then lastly, he saw the need. Look at verse 12 and 13. It says, but Jesus, when Jesus heard that, He said unto them, Go ye, they that behold me, not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I want to give you two thoughts here. Number one, praise God for the mercy of God that we don't get what we really deserve. Come on, amen. But number two, look at that last phrase I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Most people think if I can clean up, most people think if I can do better. Most people think if I can set some New Year's resolutions, somehow it's going to make me right with God. I'm telling you tonight, there's only one way to be right with God, and that's through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what he said to them. He said, I love Matthew. I love Matthew's crowd. I see the hypocrites. But he said, I don't love you because you're righteous. I love you because I'm a merciful, grace-filled God. I, um, I was preaching in New Mexico. And after uh, a youth camp service one night, there was a group called Raining Mercy. And it was three girls, their husbands, their little kids were there. And I mean, I, I liked them. I mean, they were good singers, but they were sweet to the kids. They, they were fun to be around. The, the husbands were fun. The kids were fun. And after the concert was over that night, they were putting all their stuff up and I was helping them. And I said to those three girls that had sung that night, I said, hey, tell me about your salvation. Two of them said, well, we're preacher's daughters. We got saved really early in life. And the other one told me a story. She said, Clark, she said, I grew up in the Northwest where it rained all the time. And she said, one Saturday night, she said, I'm making my way from party to party. She said, I'm a cheerleader. I'm the most popular girl in my senior class. Hey, my mom's a godly lady. And she said, for the last year, my mom and I have done nothing but fight. And she said, on my way from party to party, drinking alcohol, smoking dope. She said, I get to the next party. And she said, I'm in a crowd of people. And she said, Brother Clark, have you ever been in a crowd of people and felt like you were all alone? She said, I went and sat on the curb. That rain was coming down. Somebody brought me a phone and she said, to my amazement, she said, I called my mom. She said, Mom, can you come get me? Mom said, I'm on my way. She said, I knew when my mom got me in that car. She's going to let me have it. We've been fighting for a year. She said, my mom pulled up. I got in that car. She could smell the alcohol. She could smell the dope. And she said, to my amazement, she said, we drove all the way home. And my mother did not say one word. She said, the garage door came up. We pulled in the, in, in the garage. The garage door was coming down behind us. My mother was opening her door. And as she opened her door, she reached over and grabbed me by the shoulder. And she said, I knew it was about to be on. And my mother said to me, I said, honey, I want you to know something. There is a better Way to live. She said my mom went in the house. She said I didn't hear from her all night. She said I took a shower and lay in bed. And she said all night long. She said I tossed and turned. I kept hearing my mom say honey there's a better way to live. The next morning was Sunday. She said I could hear my mom downstairs. She said to my amazement. She said Open opened my bedroom door. I screamed downstairs. Mom are you going to church mom? Can, can I go to church with you? My mom said we got to hurry. We're going to be late. She said I dressed hurriedly. We got in the car, my mom didn't talk to me. We drove all the way to church, and she said, Preacher, when we got there, every song they sang was for me. That preacher didn't know I was coming that day, but everything he preached on that day, it was for me. When the invitation was given, she said, I didn't walk down the aisle. She said I ran down the aisle. She said, the preacher grabbed me and he said, I she said, I said to the preacher, Preacher, I gotta find a better way to live. I gotta find a better reason to live. He gave me to a lady. She said, we knelt down at the altar. And she said, I I knelt, I, I confessed my sin, I'd asked Jesus to be my savior. And she said, I prayed the sinner's prayer. And she said, I felt a hand on my shoulder. And she said, when I looked up, she said, I saw it was my mom. She said, my mom hugged me for a long time. And finally, my mom said, honey, this is all I've ever wanted for you. You see, Jesus has not come to call the perfect. Jesus has not come to call the righteous. Jesus has come to call sinners to repentance. He saw Matthew. He saw the crowd. He saw the hypocrites. And he saw the need. Would you bow your heads for just a moment?